Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Mr. Abernathy. I, I call him Mr. because he's right in my backyard and, and we have to uh, respect those that have been in the industry longer. Uh, so, but anyway, Andrew Abernathy, he is the chairman and founder of Abernathy Holdings. You can find him at abernathyholdingsco.com. And uh, the reason I'm saying, Mister, is because you have been doing real estate investing since 14 years old, which is yeah. just shocking. How did you? <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna delve into that. But in essence, 14 years old with four thousand dollars, and now a hundred million dollar company. Yeah. No. We. Uh, you know, the family's been in the in the uh, farming real estate game since the mid 1900s. Um, by the time I was 14, I was fortunate enough to save up for $4,000 running green cart and combine on the family farm. And that is kind of when I started um, into real estate. Um, started out in the stock market, actually, when it crashed in 09, was able to turn that 4000 to 80000 in, a, in a, about a year. And then I started acquiring real estate. First first property was in uh, in Bismarck, North Dakota, and got fortunate with the oil boom, you could say. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, that, and that was going for quite a while. Correct. Yeah, we uh, that that kind of took a dive there in fourteen. We were fortunately we've we bought and sold, and we were out of that area before that happened. Um, I'm not saying I saw it coming by any means. It was more of a luck thing, but um, that's that's where it all started. Sure. So you've you kind of grew up around real estate investing. You mentioned farming, but did you have a lot of role models growing up, and this was kind of the natural pro- progression and direction for you? Yeah, a lot of my role models, you know, were were my dad and grandpa, you know, and and we did all of our investing was in, in land up in land, farmland, which we also farmed. Um, but as I got older, I started to get, you know, mentors outside of the farming industry. And that helped really guide me into uh into what we eventually diversified into, which is uh is self-storage. Right. So talk about that first time you went into self-storage. What drew your attention to that? As yeah. an investment class, well, we started off the first few things off the farm were apartments, multifamily, and you know dealing with tenants and leaking toilets and faucets and management was was something that you know we did, but it was a little bit of a headache. And storage always intrigued me, right? I'm a farm boy. I like simple. You know, you got some stuff in a building. There's no, there's one set of bathrooms by the offices. You got one employee to manage a twelve to fifteen million dollar asset. And uh, you're not dealing with a bunch of people, uh, you know, ruining the paint and floors in an apartment. So I just, I just liked it. I just like the simplicity. Sure. So how many storage units does your company have now? So we've been building and selling. Um, right now we've got uh, a little shy of a thousand units going up in Gilbert, Arizona, um, in one building. Then we've got another project we're getting started here shortly. You know, we're we're on the pace right now to be doing it, but we're opening about two to three facilities a year now. We're trying to grow off that. And each facility has about 800 units in it. So, Oh, wow. So you're probably focusing on some pretty large uh, cities. Correct. Yeah. You know, we, we focused really heavily on the major cities 
Um, you know, our criteria is 100,000 population in a three mile radius. And then we also need 100,000 household income and the population three mile radius, both of those. And we need to be on and visible from a main thoroughfare. So you're right, that, that leads us right into the major 20 cities across the U.S. Okay. So, you know, how did you establish that criteria that you just rattled off there? Um, you know, I've had some mentors, you know, Gary Theraldson's one of them. He's actually obviously local to, to, to Fargo and he, he, uh, he did amazing things in the hotel industry from the 1980s on and built a pretty impressive portfolio. So he taught me to look, um, basically to set up a five-step criteria that anybody could follow. And after diving into it, going to conferences in Vegas and a few other places, you know, that was just the criteria that we felt was an A-lot. Um, deal flow is a little light um, when it comes to it because, you know, we're looking for those diamonds, but that's okay. You know, we, if we're going to spend money, we want it to be in the best spot possible. Sure. So yeah, at first, I'm guessing that you probably started with the acquisition of storage units and then eventually moved into building them yourself. But uh, how did you find that first uh, storage unit or two that you, you got the, got things running? Actually, we dove right into development of them. Oh, you know, really? Yeah, because and we we do it a little unique too. Uh, I wanted to build a vertically integrated company. You know, I think every successful person I talk to has has put together where they can do a lot of things in house and build them for less than their competitors, and that was a formula to success for them. So I kind of kind of copied that business plan, right? I didn't invent anything. I didn't reinvent the wheel. So we went out in 2015 and bought a uh, equipment dealership in Montana. From a, it started in 1947. We were the after the third generation, they sold it to us. Um, we got a garage door dealership. So we're a dealer um, for garage doors. We acquired a, a construction company. So if you add all these things together, you know, we're able to go in and build our facilities for about 10% less than our competitors. And these properties cost around $12 million. So, you know, we're going in there and, excuse me, and building them for about 11 million. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, good. No, that that's an interesting aspect of this. So you really have been in acquisition mode, acquiring and developing these businesses in in support of the end goal of of building these storage units. Correct. Yeah, in ten years, you know, right now we're doing those two to three a year, and like I said, they're about twelve million retail for us, about eleven million right now each. Um, but in ten years, I'd like to be doing one a month. I'd like to open a new one every single month. Um, and again, we we own them, we build them. Um, so it's all in house, you know, we're not building for other people and, you know, we've raised, I went out and raised, uh, I think we're at about 30 to 40 million we've raised. Um, so far we, we try not to raise too fast cause we don't want to dilute partners for no reason, but we've been raising money as needed along this journey to keep our development pipeline filled. Sure. Are you getting investors for the company as a whole or for different development projects? Yeah, good question. So we we do that pretty unique. Uh, you know, a lot of companies will bring investors in on certain projects, and then they'll have their own construction company that gets paid to to build for that entity that the investors came in. So we're unique. We have a parent company, and that parent company owns all the things that I mentioned, right? Garage doors, equipment, construction, and then that company owns a hundred percent of all the facilities we built. So when we bring investors in, they actually come into the parent. And they own what we already own and what we will own in the future. So, sure. and, and it keeps them, you know, keeps them part of the vertical integration too. So they're not out there paying retail for certain sites that we go and make money on the outside. So do you work with simply accredited 
uh, investors then? Correct. Yeah. So we've we've raised accredited and qualified um, state 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 rules since we don't have any Series Seven. We don't um, solicit or anything of that sort. Sure. Okay. Well, that is a very interesting way of doing it. So you're essentially selling shares, if that's correct. Yeah. So we we sell units. You know, back in 2012, we were selling units for thirty five thousand a unit. And now they're 120,000 a unit and climbing. Um, as we grow, we reevaluate and build new facilities. And you know the market's pretty crazy. You know every every month it seems like valuations across the country and all real estate seems to continue to climb. So we we have to reevaluate every six months to make sure our units are appropriately valued for our for our incoming partners. But we have a pretty strict criteria there too. You know our investors, our partners, we call them. They vet us, of course, like anybody would for an investment, but we vet them, right? I mean, we want good partners too. You know, if you get one bad apple in a group and it can really can really make things a headache. So we've been really fortunate with all, all good partners, all good partners. Right. So you, based on what you're saying there, if your goal is to build a new facility every, every month, um, you probably have your processes and understanding in, in place pretty pretty tight right now how does how does that look regarding your team and and what you've established there for your processes yeah no good question so we've got a great team um my partner my i'm a warren buffett fan so my charlie munger is matt halverson um he helps me run operations at the parent company and then um we've got another individual named charles he helps with our he's our cfo and then what we do is we break it down management from there so all of our equipment dealership um, business operations are um, ran by Luke Stewart. Um, and then he's got about 20 employees there. Um, and then our construction company and uh, anything with storage is run by Nate Mayhus. And he's got his team there of about six, seven people. And then all of our storage facilities are actually managed directly by extra space storage. So that's another unique thing is, you know, 95% of the storage industry is actually Monpa owned. And only 5% is owned by the REITs, the main guys, kind of like the Marriott's of, of hotels. But for storage, it would be like extra space and public storage. So they, they brand for us. They, they, they employ, they run them, they manage them, and we pay a fee. And we just stay the owner and develop them. Hmm. That's, that is very different. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really surprised at that statistic that only a small percentage is owned by REITs. Yep. Yeah, and it's growing slowly, but it's a one. It's just it's a really fragmented market. But so are hotels. You know, in 1980s, it was mostly mom pa hotels too, Jim's Hotel, Bob's Hotel, and now it, it's basically the exact opposite. All you see is brands. So, you know, I believe that storage is kind of maybe going to follow the same thing. I think in by 2050, you're going to see a lot more branded facilities than mom and pa. That's what I personally believe. Um, another thing with major cities. That's interesting is there's currently 333 million people in the US and 83% of those people live in major cities. And in 2050, they're projecting a 404 million population in the US and they're projecting that 89% of them will live in cities. That's about an $85 million or 85 million person spread in the cities. Mm -hmm. And right now across the US, the average person has six square feet of storage per capita. So you take six square feet of storage times the 85 roughly million people injected into cities, you know, you're about a half, 500 million, a little shy, 480 million of square feet needed. And that's just new development, let alone 
revamping old facilities and rebuilding. Sure. So, you know, as, as more people are getting into this game, so first of all, I would suspect, do you, do you find that you're ha- you have some cities and, and some neighborhoods that don't really want these type of storage units? How do you get past that, that development hurdle like that? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, when we go into the cities, we've had really good luck so far. I'm not saying it's easy. It takes time, but we've never actually been turned down. You know, the 1950s style of storage, the 1970, 1980 was the drive up, right? They didn't look that good. They just, that's just what they were. So cities were really hard on those. Um, nowadays with these beautiful class A self-storage facilities that are three stories tall, they look more like a hotel than storage. Uh, we've been very fortunate to to help educate cities on what the new type of storage looks like. So we've been very fortunate there. Well, that kind of leads me to, you know, with as many mom and pop storage units and companies that are available out there, you know, when you're doing with with residential real estate, it's easy to kind of stand out in certain ways regarding like features and functionality. What do you do to to stand out in the crowd when you're when you're doing storage units like this? Yeah, good question. So when we go in, we we like landlocked, right? We like areas. What I mean by that is we like to go find a lot that can be developed on that's not that doesn't have a bunch of empty grand around it because there's nothing proprietary, right? I mean, if we do really well. A competitor, if there's a bunch of dirt open, could build right next to us and hurt our business in the years to come. So we, oh, we sure. do like to spend a premium on locations, right? Like we'll spend a 20% premium just to have the best spot with without much empty dirt around it. Um, and then on top of that, extra space storage is really part of that. You know, extra space storage has built a brand. Um, and we work with them, independent analysis, our banks, and then our in-house team. All four of us have to check off a site before we pursue it. So we have a very strict due diligence um, process. So when we get in there, um, extra space storage really takes the key at, at door open and, and they have amazing algorithms and processes to get it filled and keep it filled and keep the rates at, at the current, at, at the correct rates needed in that area at that time. Sure. Then you mentioned like these hotel looking facilities, you know, that's something you know, I, I mentioned to you that I'm near Fargo. That's something actually relatively new to the Fargo area. Like we have a facility now that is multi-stories and for a storage unit. So it was kind of an oddity here at, at when it first was released, you know, or first opened because you're, you're not used to seeing storage units and in, in stacked on top of each other like that. Everybody thinks of the traditional, they look like a row of garages versus... A facility like that. Correct. Yeah. We, you know, Fargo, sadly, I love Fargo. It's a North Dakota's home to me. We haven't found anywhere in North Dakota or the Midwest yet that meets our metrics. You know, it's really tough to find areas that have a hundred thousand people in a three mile radius. It's really tough, especially mm-hmm. Fargo that's spread out. Um, it's really important to us because, you know, storage is a three mile radius business. Um, your clients outside of that, they're not going to come to you. Nobody's going to drive on average four miles or more for storage, unlike they would for a hotel, right? Maybe you, you'll drive an extra couple miles for a Marriott, but storage, your clients are three, three mile radius. And I honestly think as people build more and competition builds, I think that's going to go down to one and two mile. So we're really strict on density and population and income. And sadly, the Midwest hasn't met those metrics yet, but doesn't mean I don't love the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. So where are you targeting right now? Where are the, the next uh, development opportunities for you? 
You know what? You know, Before we do that, yeah. I better uh, remind everybody where to find you. Yep. Uh, head over to Ab- abanathyholdingco.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But you also have a site of your own, right? Um, yes. AndrewAbanathy.com. Yep, that's correct. So I'll make sure to have both of those links in the show notes for you. Um, but uh, uh, so I'm sorry, I feel like I interrupted you there. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. We, you know, we're just talking, you know, about the Midwest um, and, and our target cities. Right now, we do a lot in Arizona. Um, the construction company, all the staff we own mostly is here for that. So we try to keep in the area. But, you know, we we do not lower our standards on site selection. And as you know, and everybody knows across the U.S. world, real estate is on fire with low interest rates, easy money. And it's been challenging. You know, we're trying to keep our development pipeline open. I mean, we were buying lots um, in 2019 for 500,000 an acre in Arizona. Now we're lucky to find them at one to 1.2 million an acre. Um, so we can make it pencil, but there's guys out there trying to get 3 million an acre and we just we just can't do that. It just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So we are starting to open our, our mind, our, our horizon to, um, you know, uh, Vegas, Salt Lake City, you know, Texas, things in our area. It doesn't mean those are the only good places, but there are some um, outside of that. So, sure, yeah, no, that's that's really this this is quite the interesting conversation because it's it's I've I've never I haven't run into anybody to that strictly focuses on the development aspect of this. This is right. Yeah, no, and I'm I'm fortunate. You know, the Gary Theraldsons of the world. I just literally basically took their book. And I just put it into storage. And uh, so again, I didn't reinvent the wheel. I just saw things that have worked multiple times for other people. And I said, well, I'm going I'm to do that. Yeah. No, my my wife used to work for the Theraldson. So it was. Oh, great. Yeah. So that was. it's kind of an interesting connection there too. Small world. Yeah. Gary's a great guy. He he helped me put together my business model. Um, and and I he's, he's been nothing but amazing, amazing for me. Yeah. So, you know, another thing that I think we, if you don't mind, if we could spend a little time on, in fact, I, I we probably could do in another, an entire other episode is the direction and focus that you quickly discovered here and, and how you've stayed with the, the, the mindset that this is, this is the avenue and this is the path you were going to go. Yeah. And it wasn't always easy. You know, when I started out, um, you know, younger at 14, even to 20 years old, I kind of was any deal that came to me, I looked good. I bought it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then after getting to know Gary and a few other mentors, they really told me and, and it hurt, but they said, Andrew, you know, you're, you're good at a lot of things, but you're not great at anything. And that, and that they're so true. I'm glad they told it to me, but I'm like, wow, you're right. So I'd say about 2016, 17 um, focus became a main priority of, of mine. And, and that is when our trajectory really increased. Things have been amazing since that point. I'm just glad I learned it um, at that age and not, you know, older. I, obviously, I wish I would have learned it at 14, but I did. I still learned it young, though. So were there certain strategies or tactics that you took to define that focus? Not really. You know, I learned that um, there isn't an idea or the idea out there, right? There's a lot of ideas. I mean, you could literally make a list of a thousand ideas and all you have to do is pick one. You know, what I learned a lot about human nature is everybody's waiting around for the idea, right? But I'm a big believer that there's a lot of ideas that'll work. You just got to pick one and focus and be the best at it. So storage met 
a lot of the things I like, right? Simplicity, because I wanted to be in real estate. It's my blood, as we talked mm-hmm. about. And I wanted to be in development because development has a lot of scalability potential. And then I just had to pick my real estate skew, you might say. And storage, just like I said, checked all those boxes. It was easy, clean, not very many employees, actually none for me because extra space storage manages them. And uh, yeah, I checked all the boxes. So yeah, no, that's that's interesting. You know, that and that's a very valid point. I, I've heard I've said multiple times on this show is whatever you focus on is what grows. Exactly. And um, and it, it's when you start to when you're when you're getting into real estate investing for the first time, you know, it's it's almost it's overwhelming the shiny object syndrome that people experience. You know, the the FOMO is overwhelming, the fear of missing out. And you'll be pulled in a million different directions and not grow in any direction. Exactly. Especially in today's world, um, we're used, I mean, even books are getting shorter because intention spans are not there anymore. I mean, you know, excuse me, you go on Facebook and you get your news right then and there. Um, we have phones where you can get information right then and there. Right back in the 1800s, they had to write a letter and wait three or four or five weeks or days to get a response. Their intention spans were longer than ever. So our attention spans are continuously getting shorter. And I think that is not, has not done nothing but hurt people, um, millennials in business, because I never see, I shouldn't say never, but a lot of people this day and age just have a trouble focusing on something for more than a short period of time. And, and great things take time. I mean, that mm-hmm. is a fact. And no matter what generation or what technology we have, the fact still stands that great things take time. No, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that too, because we... We've been kind of sold a lot of snake oil, not only with our careers, but in real estate investing, that this is some sort of get rich quick. And right. it's for that's the furthest thing from the truth. That's a fact. You know, I'm looking at this, I'm young, and the, the most important, well, the most amazing formula is compounding, as we all know. It's the most amazing thing other than gravity and sliced bread. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And uh, so with, with, with compounding, the most important piece of the formula is time. And the one thing I know that I have in theory, unless I get hit by a bus, but age wise, I have time. So I don't need a steep slope. A steep slope, what I mean by that is if you if you're trying to get from here to here and you have a shorter period of time, your slope's steeper, right? Well the steeper the slope, the more risky. So I was able to lower our leverage, lower our risk because of we because we have time. And that has uh, gave me the ability to be financially where I want to get without having the risk needed to get there in a short amount of time. Sure. So knowing what you know now, let's say you have somebody out here listening to the show that's thinking about getting into storage units for the first time. What are a couple of those first steps that they should take in order yeah. to be comfortable with this concept? Well, I think I think the I think storage and a lot of other asset classes are really expensive right now. So what I really tell people and I do the same thing right now is be careful with leverage. You know, I don't look at five years. I look at, you know, a hundred years, 200 years out, you know, generational, because again, I'm a steward of a family business that goes back a hundred years. So I obviously want to make sure I'm a good steward going forward. And what I mean by that is, you know, taking high leverage at these valuations and costs is really risky because if interest rates tick up or things slow down, which things aren't perfect forever, you don't want to be underwater. So if you want to get into this, I think it's great, but be very careful on your location, location, location. Don't save money on the dirt, right? That's the last thing you want to do in real estate. But also don't get too aggressive 
when it comes to going and leveraging 20% or 80% doing 20% down, I just, I just, I just don't think that would probably be the best, the best thing we, we put down about 45% on our facilities. And then once they're stabilized and they've proved themselves, that's when we would be open to leveraging a little bit more, but I want to leave plenty of room for not only a comfortability, right? But if, or not if, but when the next downturn hits, I want to have enough equity to not only live through it, but pull out and take advantage because businesses grow when things are bad, not like not when things are good. Uh, businesses grow when things are good, but they grow quicker when things are bad. If so you're structured correctly. So not <laughs> only are you putting more down than what we typically hear, but you're also building them essentially at a discount. So there's even more cushion there than than the average Correct. person. Yeah, I mean, when when the tides go out, I will not be swimming naked. That's what that's, that's all they say. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I, mean, so, I could well, grow a lot quicker, but uh, I do know I'll be around in a hundred years by not doing it. Because again, it's at some point it's not about it's not about trying to get rich tomorrow, like he said. It's it's all about years and decades down the road. Well, another thing you you said that I think is really interesting, and this is like an extremely obviously strong mindset point for you, is that you see this as a continuation of what your family has done a hundred years prior to you. Correct, and it. It's an honor and, and a lot on the shoulders, but it's an honor. Correct. Yes. And they've always been in the farmland business, which we'll continue in. Um, I think farmland is a great asset to be in the portfolio, but, uh, but it is fun to, to take the, take the family into a, 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 another direction along with farmland. It's, it's an honor to be that generation that, that's doing it. And, and maybe my, maybe my low leverage is just because, you know, I want to be a good steward but I, I think the low leverage is smart. I really do. I just, you see so many guys, things have been good a long time. People my age haven't seen things being bad. They just haven't. I've only read about it. And I'm really good at reading and taking advice and actually listening to it. But there's a lot of people that are my age that aren't and they're all leveraged and it's not always sunny. It's not always sunny. Yeah. No, I just think that was really interesting is that, you know, you, you see this as almost a diversification for a family business that's been around for a hundred years. I mean, it, that's Correct. really, that's really neat. So once again, head over to abernathyholdingco.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. Um, but before I let you go, is there a question you wished I would have asked you here today? You know, um, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, I'm a big believer in thinking bigger. You know, I think I think what I just want to tell people is when you're out there and you want to you want to have a plan, you want to do this, just set your goals even higher. You know, your story can be whatever you want it to be. You know what I mean? You see a lot of people that that have these lower goals. Remember, if you want to be worth a million, you're not going to be worth a million and a half. If you want to be, you know what I mean? So always, always set your goals high because you don't want to stunt your own growth um, from your own mindset. So think bigger. Yeah, the Grant Cardone 10x rule. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Don't get so, too crazy doing it and lose everything either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate your time. This was a great conversation and uh, I hope we can chat again sometime. Yeah, you let me know. I, I come on anytime. I really appreciate you letting me on. Thank you. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.